Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this very special Empire podcast. Matthew Fawn's Kingsman The Secret Service is a batshit insane love letter to spy movies, and we invited its director into our pod booth to talk about his career, and more specifically, yes, his new film. And as this is a spoiler podcast, we do talk about everything that happens in the third act, and I do mean everything from major set pieces to major deaths and more. So if you haven't seen Kingsman The Secret Service, Stop listening to this podcast right now. Go away, watch it, and then come back. We'll wait for you. Back? Excellent. Then we can continue. Matthew Vaughan was in great no-holds-barred form. He was talking to myself and Nick DeSemlian. Do enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Matthew Fawn, writer and director of Kingsman The Secret Service. Hello, sir. How are you? I am feeling like... Am I allowed to swear on these things? You're allowed to swear. Go okay, I am feeling like literally dog shit because... <laughs> Uh, all of um, during a lovely junket yesterday Mark Miller and I there was a sort of a dumb and dumber moment where we both looked at each other and something moved in our mid-stomach range and so I was having to do interviews while running to the loo and uh, and poor um, Miller's stuck to it at the moment because he's probably got such disgusting things in his guts that have, have taken years <laughs> to come out but I'm, I'm uh, so I'm feeling a little bit worse for wear okay but you're, you're, you're soldiering on I'm soldiering on for that? that was the premiere. I heard that Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee were at the premiere. Are they? Are you friends with them, or do you know anything about that? I actually spotted him, and I laughed, and I felt like running up to him, going, "You're not going to remember me, but when I was nine years old, I was in a toy shop and I saw you, and I got very excited, and I went up and said, Mr. Daniels, could you sign my book?'" And he went, "Of course I will, son." And he signed it, and then I got home and I showed it to my mum, and she said to me, "Oh, did you meet Shirley Bassey?" <laughs> so that was my encounter with Paul Daniels as a director uh, at this point of the process your movie just about to come out yes what's the feeling like for you are you bricking it are you confident what, what, what's it usually like for you but I'm literally bricking it at the moment um, <laughs> if you notice I might if I look like you know Igor I've got like my neck's cricked my back's moved it's, it's, it's the most stressful thing and I don't buy it. A lot of directors say, oh, I don't mind if people you know, don't like my film and you know, I made the movie for art and all that bullshit. I, you make a movie, for, well, I make a movie for an audience and I want them to go see it, number one, and two, hopefully like it. And um, I've been sort of, a lot of my films people discover on DVD, which is really annoying because and, 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 I do design for big screen. You know, I don't, I do use a lot of wide shots and, yeah. and um, oh, this, this is a movie that should be seen on the big screen. So did you ever always want to be a director or was it because you started out as a producer obviously did you fall into that um, no, I did I wanted to be a, actually a musician that was my dream uh-huh. you know I wasn't up to, up to about the age of 16 I I really wanted to be be in the music business um, and then I was a busboy at the Hard Rock Cafes when I was 18 and all the other waiters and waitresses and busboys were all in theory, actors, producers, writers, directors. And I was an idiot. I went, wow, cool, tell me more about it. And they started showing, and I learned about the industry from all these people who didn't have a gig. <laughs> and and then I went, I thought, God, um, I'm not a good enough musician. I worked for in a recording studio for a little bit, and that didn't right. go very well. And um, and then I became a producer because I realized you didn't, the only skill set you need as a producer is the art of bullshitting. And I was like, fuck, I'm born to do this because I've got no qualifications and no other skill set. So I became a producer. Is it true that at university you studied anthropology and ancient history? I think I did. But not for very long? 
because it was the first thing on an UCA form. So I just ticked it and went in for an interview because my mother said, you've got to go to university. And I went, all right. And uh, UCL, uh, I think it's the first thing. is an A, isn't it? So I didn't know what I went for an interview and know what anthropology was. And they sat there and then they explained it to me. And then I sort of started bullshitting about the difference between cultures of Mike Tyson and Frank Bruno because I watched a fight about two weeks earlier <laughs> saying it shows you about American strength and British humbleness and uh, and they gave the, they, they were very nice to give me a a, uh, <laughs> a seat or what, I don't know what you get at university a place at university and then yeah. I um <laughs> then I left well almost they asked me to come back actually they were very sweet but I remember walking out you know they got the dead guy have you ever been to UCL they have the guy that founded it mummified in a glass box no yeah and I was like that cannot be real and they're like that <laughs> And the guy, and, he, and he, it was in his will that he had to always be on display overlooking the students. He's the dead guy just sitting there. I'm like... Keep an eye on Yeah. Wow. And King's College nicked his head once and put a football there. <laughs> <laughs> Would you do a big historical epic, Exodus, Gods and Kings style? Yeah, you know what? Never say never. I've learned that in life. But it's, uh, it's I'm... I actually am a history buff. I love history. Um, and I do read a lot about history because I actually think history repeats itself. And, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the world and society and how it's good. It's definitely going to change. So, And normally you can see patterns which will emerge, which I haven't quite figured out yet. But um, um, So yeah, I probably would, I think I would do a period piece. Stardust's period. There you go, I've done two. <laughs> there we go. What am I talking <laughs> about? Yeah, I'm thinking, hold on, I'm sure I've, had to, I've gone through this. I've done Victorian and I've done the 60s. What do you call period? I was talking ancient history. Ancient history. Of, okay, ancient history. I was going to do a sort of a Levi Strauss anthropological... I need to remember I'm Levi Strauss. I'm talking about tunics and uh, cloaks and robes and all that kind of... Swords and sandals. Yeah, swords and, and sandals. sandals. Yeah. I'll do a good job of it. I'll remake I, Claudius. <laughs> How do you how do you choose what comes next for you? Um, I don't. It chooses me. Really? It really and that sounds really pretentious, but it's um, something happens. I always say there's a, there's a and it's a really quite amazing thing. Anyone who works for me will see it. That I'll you know I'm pottering around, thinking about stuff, hustling on other areas of life, and then I suddenly see the movie and I'm off. And it happens. It's it's you know I've never not shot a film I wanted to make because I will it once I put. Once it's in my head, nothing is going to stop me from making the movie. I mean, nothing. Mm. So it's um, um, but what makes that like Kingsman? It happened. Um, Lockstock. It happened. I mean, it, it's and weirdly, so I was just you know saying it's odd being in here because it's where we we sat here with Chris Evans doing the Lockstock TV show, saying we're going to remake. Um, we're going to do the Arthur, you know, Arthur Daly of the the modern world. But mm. Didn't go to plan. <laughs> sadly. Too much drinking about them, <laughs> but otherwise, material chooses you. It does. So it just yeah. it. It's, in this affair, it's, it, it, it's odd. You either I either see the film or I don't, and um, and that's what the part I drive my crew nuts because I can see the movie. It's every mm. I've. I'm you know, all I'm doing when I direct. I'm just recreating what's in my head that I've seen. So I don't know if you read a book. You know, you know when you I don't maybe you guys don't do this, but when I you know when you read a book and then you see the film of the book. You're going, oh, I wouldn't have done it like that. Mm. I, I do. I don't, mm. don't know whether people do that, whether it's just me, but you go, oh, I would never imagined that character to look like that or to wear that or the castle to be like that. And so, but that's all I'm doing is everyone, you know, I've got this, the movie in my head and just trying to get, every, you know, 1,500 people to get the same vision that's in there, in yeah. their head. What yeah. was the trickiest bit of Kingsman to get in line with how you saw it in your head? 
I, I always have problems with production designers. Again, it's in my head. So I'm going, look, I really want the color of the room to be this. And they're like, you're colorblind. Again, I know, but that's what I want it to be like that. And uh, of the doorknob or the, the, I'm really into the detail of it. And, um, and I think a lot of production designers, the way it normally works is they design the film. So they get the script and they go off and they come up with all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not interested in all this stuff. I'm interested in this, please. So then they get disillusioned and think I'm an arsehole. And um, <laughs> it's happened a lot, trust me. And same with DPs. Like, I was, yesterday someone asked me, how do I know where to put the camera? Mm. And I said, I don't know where to put the camera. It's I just put it where it feels right. Mm. You know, I don't look at a scene thinking, I've got to put a 75 mil on and a Dutch angle. I'll just look at it and go... Because I look at the camera as a, like, it's a, it's a per- human being wanting to see something. So I'm always... Going okay. I, I, I want to. See, I learned this on Layer Cake when Daniel was whispering on the phone when Sienna was stripping off, and uh, had such an argument with the DP at that time because I said, "Look, the camera's got to be under his face, over the bed. He's looking down and whispering." But we were shooting anamorphic, and that, he's like, "Fuck this! We've got to build, put the bed sixteen feet up in the air for it to work." And I was like, "You got to do it." And he's like, "It's one line. He's whispering." And, I was, and then you got to do it. So and then it made the cut and. <laughs> It's um, it's odd. So I look, I I really look at the camera as a, a third character in the scene. As a producer, though, if a director had come to you and said, "We need to do this. We need to build a bed sixteen feet in the air to get one shot for one line," what would you have said? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, as director, then deal with that? Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, and, re- and it's it's interesting because Jekyll, let's say, well, Hyde must be the director and Jekyll must be the producer, and Jekyll used to always win. Yeah, and High's getting bloody strong now, <laughs> and he's beating the crap out of poor Jekyll. I think Kickass was the last time Jekyll and Hyde were equal warriors. Hyde's mm. now pounding the living daylights out of uh, Jekyll. So on, on Kingsman, not just in terms of what was the most difficult thing to realize to take from your head and put on the yeah. big screen, but what was the most difficult thing to do? Full stop. Underwater. Yeah. Never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was the hardest. Most. It was scary. Those actors were not acting. They were absolutely terrified. I mean, it was awful. The first day of Filming it, you know, the way we did it was you have the dormitory above the tank and then mm. you just lift or lower, lower it in. And the computer crashed and it was meant to go down. We told the actors, right, it's going down four feet because you have to slowly put it down because um, it, once the set gets wet, then you can't shoot again. You have to dry it out, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you can't always stand there going, what's, what's going to happen? Water dripping <laughs> everywhere. And um, so we go, it's going to go down four feet. And we had, we, we've been rehearsing with sticks raising the sticks, saying it's four feet, so then you went, say, each line. At six feet, you say this line, eight feet. And it was a much longer scene, 12 yeah. feet. And it was going to go up really slowly, so there's a lot more dialogue and arguing and character stuff going on. Action, the computer got it wrong, and they went 20 feet down. Just boom, boom. Cameras, everything went under. We ruined the cameras, sound guys, guys were in waders full of water, panic, everyone diving in, pulling everyone out, and we were like, Fuck. Scary. It was really scary. Stopped filming for a day. I went off, rewrote the scene because uh-huh. I said, we're not going to get away with this. And then <laughs> the only good thing is the actors were terrified because they thought, you know, this might happen again. <laughs> and then it's very difficult because you've got like, was it 10 or 11? I can't remember how many there were, but under, you know, carrying 11 people to hit marks underwater and then the panic and then someone would run out of breath too early and very, very tough. And puppies. Tough. Water and puppies. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, yeah, filming with the puppies. There was one scene which didn't make the film. Was it's the the recruits had to do an assault course with their puppies off lead, right? 
I was an idiot for writing it. <laughs> Absolute idiot. Because well, you then don't... try filming it, and then halfway through the scene, I went, had enough. It's not going to be in a film. Move on. Because they're puppies. Yeah. Imagine. They just go everywhere they want. They go. Just, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it was, I mean, it made sense, the challenge for the, for the recruits, but like an idiot. I mean, I'm not going to throw myself out of a plane with no parachute, but I went and did the stupid thing of making myself have to film a scene with 12 puppies doing an assault course. <laughs> it's interesting you say that and not the uh, the church sequence. Was that, was that no, relatively straightforward then? Church sequence was very well planned out. Yeah. So it was choreographed before on, you know, on video. We, 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 it's so done beforehand that the execution is not that hard, you know, and it's controlled. It's like mm. it's like a ballet, you know. Colin, you you punch right, extra here goes down. Stuntman's going to go flying here. The camera will now move back. It's all planned. Mm. So executing a plan's fine with grown-ups. Executing a plan with water or puppies, <laughs> not easy. But the church scene, there must have been a sense of excitement doing it, knowing this is a scene that is going to get talked about a lot. I was more excited when we... It's more of a sense of excitement when we're doing the... I mean, I should show you all the videos that we've done. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll go, fuck, it's all done beforehand. There's no making right. it up on the day. So that was the exciting part. And filming more, as, as I said, it's a little bit... Not dull, but it's really like, Christ, we're on it. you got to... You know, it's like, I suppose when you... If you're a sportsman, you know it's it's you know the training is where you can really go for it. But when you but you got to hold it. But when you when you're in the moment, you're not you're just in the moment. You're just getting getting the job done. So um, and the parachuting again, I wanted to shoot that in a way that was different because you know parachutes. Mm. Every parachute movie, the camera's falling with them, and I was like, mm. guys, that's why you don't feel. You know, everyone looks like they're flying in parachute mm. movies. They're not falling because um, if the camera goes with you at the same speed. You have no sense of, of perspective. And and um, so then I said, right, we have to shoot this with fixed cameras. And they're going, well, they're 18,000 feet in the air. How the fuck do we do that? So we were literally getting helicopters and long lenses and and guys in suits, which virtually stop for a second. And, and that's what made, that's the difference. Like the first half, we shot like a normal yeah. um, parachuting scene. But as soon as they say you've got no parachute, we went fixed camera. Yeah. And that's when you feel... Yeah, they're falling. With the sensation. So do you watch, for example, old Bond films and do that same thing that you've talked about when you're reading the book and you visualise it in your head? Do you look at films like that and think, oh, I would have done that differently, that's how I do this, if I were to do it these days? Or can you just enjoy the film for what it is? A little bit of the magic of watching a movie has gone, um, unless it's brilliant. And when it's a brilliant film, that, that for me, that's when I know, like, like Guardians of the Galaxy, apart from the first shot where I was spitting bullets and I actually rang up my, deep, my old DP, lit it, and I went, you are a effing dick <laughs> and he's like what have I done now and I was like because he read Kingsman before he did Guardians of the Galaxy and my open, the opening shot was always starting on a cassette deck close up <laughs> so then I'm watching Guardians start on a cassette deck and I was like you dick he's like, I promise you I had no idea I forgot I mean but you read the script of mine before Guardians and my I said did it say it started on a close up of a cassette deck and he's like yeah I did it did so I'm sure he's not lying but I, I didn't <laughs> clock that I didn't clock that I bloody did yeah. but our shots are much better than I said but anyway we did it better and he's like what do it's you a mean better cassette well no he did it as a cut they did a close up and then a cut back we did it as a nice elegant pullback and yeah. used a digital cassette deck so you could do it because there's no lens that exists that can do it but so Ben Davis <laughs> if you're out there listening to this I'm not even going to say it <laughs> you read my mind Ben if you're listening and George relax that's the DP who did do it was that the last time the movie blew you away then? Uh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, I went off on a ride and I was happy as hell. And I just watched it and I was like, they made me care about a tree and a raccoon. This is ridiculous <laughs> and the tree doesn't even speak. So um, I thought Guardians of the Galaxy was great. Captain America, I really enjoyed as well. The second one? The, 
There's the second the, one? The, yeah. The recent one. The one yeah. that came out last year, yeah. I was just sat there going, wow, proper film. It's fantastic. It's no, fantastic. it's a really proper yeah, film. Movie. And you came so close. I mean, we, we talked about this in the past again, but you came so close to uh, being part of that at Marvel MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So your Thor was going to be incredibly different. You know, so did you get to the point where I guess you left before they started really integrating it into their their big wider universe? Because you were going to do Vikings and the medieval times, and that wouldn't have fit in with the the the, the universe where where it went. Um, yeah, there was no talk about that big universe when I was around at Marvel. Um, there was, I think, they were just thinking, can we make Iron Man into a hit? And, yeah. and then they did, and then they were off. Yeah, my th- Thor, it wasn't my idea, it was their idea. When they pitched Thor to me, they said, we want to do Thor set in the Viking world, and, and it was a really great idea, and then I sat with Mark Protovich, 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 how do you say his name? Mark Protosevich, there you go. And I sat with Mark Protosevich, and we did a script together, and it was really good, and I, I would have loved to have done it. You know, it's um, goblets on their heads with horns. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been an interesting vision. Exactly. Yeah. But is there a superhero... Flash Gordon part two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but of course, you're, you're, you've adapted a couple of Mark Miller comics now. A couple, Is yeah. there anything, any superhero that you'd be looking to do, or does that world interest you anymore after you've, you've Look, flirted with it in the past? I love superhero films. I'm a bit nervous that the superhero genre is going to die soon. That's what I'm. I'm. I'm worried that there's too many going to be made, mm-hmm. and if the Hollywood track record is, if a lot of films get made, most of them aren't going to be good. Mm-hmm. So, what kills genres off is when everyone goes right. We're going to do westerns, and thousands of westerns get made, and most of them start turning out to be bad, and therefore no one's interested in westerns anymore. Pirate movies they got killed, and then it took Caribbean to come back and rescue it again. And you know there was a moment in, in I don't know, God, pre Spider Man. Sam Raimi one, uh, no one wanted to do superhero films. They were mm. done. I remember when the first X-Men was made, everyone was laughing, going, God, mm. they're making X-Men. So things, talking about history earlier, are, you know, things repeat themselves. And, um, and well, history repeats itself. And I'm, you know, you, how many, how many of you, you'll know more than me, but there seems to be every week an announcement of a new superhero yeah. film about to yeah. be made. And, um, they're all very simple. I mean, the thing about superhero films, the, the, the formula and the characterization and what makes them work are quite similar. They're just different costumes and powers and stuff. But after a while, people are going to get bored of it. I'm sure there'll be a... I'm, I don't know. I mean, but I... So I hope it's not because I love superhero films, but um, they, they're they going to have to keep evolving and whether they will or not, I, I don't know. Was that one of the reasons, in a way, why I guess Daisy Future Past didn't work out for you? Because... X Men First Class was a very specific thing, you know. Whether it's you know, same team dynamics, I guess, but within mm-hmm. a different setting, a different period, and also it was a it was a reboot, which was really, I guess, one of the first things, first times that had been done on a big scale. Mm-hmm. Was Days of Future Past for you, I guess, more of the same? Is that maybe one of the reasons why you you, you flitted towards Kingsman ultimately? Yeah. No. What happened on Days of Future Past is I finished the treatment, and I was really excited. I remember pitching. I said, "Guys, I've got this really crazy idea. Let's do the Godfather Two mm-hmm. of." The X Men world, and um, you know, bring bring all all of them together. It's a comic called Days of Future Past. I know how to make it work, and uh, wrote the treatment. Time travel is a wank, just to tell you. <laughs> um, it is. Uh, there's a reason why I think time travel doesn't exist because it's bloody complicated <laughs> to to pull off. And yeah. so I said, I actually laughed. So I said to Kimberg, "It's not that hard. I, I've cracked it for a 12 page treatment." 
you can bloody go write the screenplay because you're going to have a <laughs> nervous breakdown trying to make this make sense of it once you get into the nitty-gritty of the reality of, of the impact of every bloody scene, past, yeah. present, and future. Yeah, yeah. So he went off to do that, and then Kingsman just fell out of me. I just was writing, and it, 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 so I finished the script before Days of Future Past. So then they came in, and there was a bit of a wobble about whether I wanted to do it purely because um, then I found out Brian Singer had first option to direct it. So Brian, being a gentleman, said, okay, Matthew, you can do it. But I was like, really, guys? First option? after No one explained that to me when I did first <laughs> class. No one said I had to sit there and see whether Brian yay or nayed it. Yeah. But at the same time, it is Brian's franchise. You know, yeah. it, it, it's it, he was meant to do first class and he couldn't do it because... Warners wouldn't let him out of doing Jack. Yeah. Right. So if it and then I had Kingsman and 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 then I even said to Fox, look, can I do Kingsman? And then Days of Future Past. Because I was worried with Kingsman that uh the fun spy movie seemed such an obvious thing. I didn't understand why no one was doing it. And I thought my bones were saying it's gonna be the next big thing. Mm. Fun movies are gonna be big now and and um people will start doing it. And now we've got what, the spy movie coming out with um Melissa McCarthy, yep. got uh, Grimsby, yep. um, Man from Uncle. <clears throat> yep. So I was like, Jesus. So I didn't even know that then, by the way. So, but I'm quite good as a, the producer side of me is quite good at thinking. Like you know, I wanted to do a sex comedy before American Pie came out, and I said to the, the studio, "We got to do American Pie." This thing I've got not actually American Pie, but I've got an idea of doing a sort of a teenage Porky's remake. Yeah. They're like, "Oh no, one likes that." And I'm like, "Oh bollocks, American Pie." And, <laughs> and then I and I pitched Sony to do. Uh, uh, tonight He Comes, which they said no to. This is just crazy. Then The Incredibles came out, and they did it, and they renamed it Hancock. Yeah. So I'm quite... I, I, I don't... I've got this weird skill of predicting hits mm. or the next trend. And um, and I thought the spy movie was going to go that way, and I didn't want to do Kingsman after a whole... Then, then everything that makes Kingsman fresh and original was going to look boring and predictable. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and Fox were like, we love you, but we are not holding back our franchise for two years for you to go off and do a new franchise and um, l- let's let Brian go do it. And and Brian deserves it. I mean, Brian, you know, it's his, you know, first class was his idea, you know, it's so he did a great job with it. Can you say what you would have done differently? The best scene, I think, in the movie, Quicksilver, was his idea. I wouldn't have done that. So <laughs> I would have made the movie worse. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I had Juggernaut being thrown out of a plane <laughs> at 20,000 feet and using his head to go in the, down a hole to get to the bottom of it. So yeah. um, It still sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I thought we yeah. were a young Juggernaut, and, yeah. and I had it that um, Beast saying, I've got a plan. And he's like, what's the plan? And they get high, high, and they like, what's the plan? And Beast was just going to grab hold of him and go, this is it, and just throw him out the window. <laughs> and then he goes on his head and <laughs> smashes through and goes, Magneto, who the fuck are you? <laughs> but the Quicksilver one was better. It was pretty cool. Yeah, would, was your, pretty cool. Uh, would your sex comedy have been set in America or Britain? Oh, it's Porky's. You know, Britain. You have to sex comedy in Britain. You, you've got your uh, what's it called in betweeners. No, this is yeah. proper. No, American. proper American. American. You know, I loved Porky's. I don't know if you guys have seen Porky's. Or remember oh, yeah. Porky's? But oh, yeah. my God, it's a funny. It's a proper film mm. as well. You know, and just come out on Blu-ray yeah. recently. Yeah. Has it? Mm. <clears throat> ah. Doesn't need to be on Blu-ray. It really doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> it really no, should, it's like, it shouldn't what, be. So you can see the grain. <laughs> you can see yeah. everything now. Yeah. <laughs> Kim, yeah. So what, what's the next big thing? Have you identified it yet? Uh, as a director, 
there's no switch yet, so I don't know. Um, as a producer, we start Eddie the Eagle in March the 9th, we start filming. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hugh Jackman and Taron. Wow, great. So uh, it's going to be pretty, it's pretty crazy. I've now gone up on the slopes and I do not understand why no one's done a ski jumping film because it's um, the most cinematic thing I've ever seen. When you, you stand at the top of a 90-meter drop and it's 90 meters just like this and then, you know, then a 100-meter track which you fly across and then down. So, you know, these guys move in about four seconds. They're traveling with no engine doing about 190 meters. Christ almighty. And in, when you see it, I just watched it going... Why has no one done a film of this? Because mm. until you see, no one's captured the fear I had. And then this guy did this great speech where he says, it's, you know, when you do ski jumping, you know, you start at your 15 meters and you, 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 you know, 15 meter jump. You go, ah, oh, it's okay. 40 meters, you start getting bruises and it's a bit dangerous. So 70 meters, you break your bones and stuff. 90 meters, you break your neck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like looking at, and, and then he sh- go online, look at, look, there's a great thing called ski jumping crashes to Iron Maiden. <laughs> and you watch it and you are it's badly shot on long lens just imagine seeing that done properly so that's all I can say it's going to be it's not Eddie the Eagle or a clown silly film it's actually what I was saying to Dexter I want to do sort of the, the modern breaking away meets slap shot interesting cool. so this is Dexter Fletcher who's directing it Dexter Fletcher yeah, yeah Dexter Fletcher's directing Hugh Jackman and Taron Egerton starring so Hugh Jackman plays who? Hugh Jackman plays the coach Mm-hmm. And Taron plays a man called Eddie the Eagle. <laughs> how um how accomplished a skier are you? Are you a adrenaline junkie? No, no, no. no. Anyway, <laughs> no, I'm a wine junkie at the top of the mountain, looking at a beautiful view, thinking, God, my good, my kids are very good at skiing, and I'm very good at consuming. So no, not a good skier. So you're gonna be on set throughout. You're gonna be uh. On, yeah, I'm gonna be there. I come yeah. to get paid to hang out on the mountain. <laughs> Damn right. So that's starting... March 9th. Starting March, March 9th, 9th in Germany. And then what are your plans after that? Do you have plans for the second half of the year? Then I'll write something. Then I'll... Uh, actually, the mountains are very um, inspirational. So um, And so is wine. So I'll sit there. <laughs> so you're going to get started. Yeah, I'll just be looking out. I mean, I have a great, really fun idea for a sequel to Kingsman, which I'd love to do. But I, I just... You don't know. Until the public... If the public goes see it, then I'd love to do a sequel to it. But if they don't, they don't. Yeah, it sounds insane, your idea, what you yeah. told me in the past. It's even got it's... more insane. I had this crazy idea. I'm not going to say it, but then just a really fun idea. Sort of, yeah. And do you, share, do you share that kind of stuff with the actors when it's when you don't know whether it's going to happen or not? Or do you hold yeah, yeah. Back? No, I t- I've spoke to because some of them, some of my ideas really are crazy, and I, and I had to check them with the actors that they're willing to do it because <laughs> I didn't want to bother writing it. And, and they went, yeah, yeah, came on. <laughs> and clearly you see... Something in Taron, and you're working with him again in Eddie the yeah. Eagle. Uh, you know, you, you've always said that you know the minute someone walks in the room. Is it indefinable in a way? Almost when you meet someone for the first time, what they have? It's obvious. Yeah, and, and it's 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 funny because I've been doing all these interviews, and I got so bored by the end that there'll probably be some story tomorrow where uh, talking about Colin this one, but it made me laugh that this this person, uh, this journalist, believed it, and I thought, oh god, is this going to hit the press now? But um, when they said, why did you cast Colin? And I said, oh, well, it's a funny story. He's like, oh, what was it? And I go, Colin rang me up. And he said, I hear you're doing a, a, a movie about a gentleman spy. Can I be in it? Mm. I was like, oh, I don't know. And he goes, can we have a drink? So I, so I met him in a, I was in, the, in a pub. 
and we're having a drink together and he's pitching himself and this this sort of weird fan guy came up and he asked for an autograph and Connor said, look, when I finish, the, finish this meeting, I'll do it when I go. And then five of them came up and asked for autographs and Connor said, please leave us alone. And they went, give us an autograph now, granddad. And he beat the living daylights out of them. <laughs> so I thought, you're right for the role. And the journalist said, that's amazing. So if that's in print, I'm sorry, Colin. I'm, I'm Googling it right now. Yeah, see no, what, I see just, what happens. But oh, God knows. I, I mean, really, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so but I got sometimes you get asked the same question again and again and again. So then you become an idiot. Um, <laughs> but um, but with with casting, people come in and they read the role or they read the you know they get two pages, and Taron when he read the two pages was doing exactly what was in my head for the film. So I was like, great, you got the part. It's, mm. it's as simple as that. Is it always a gamble though when you're when you're doing something like this that, that, that nobody really knows about that you you're holding back? for the sequel or do you want to just get everything out there in the, in the first movie movie making is a gamble full stop but yeah. the best way to make a gamble I've always said this if you're in the film business the only way to survive is it's 100% or nothing um, Eon is uh, Aeon Aeon what's it called Gavin. Eon everything, Eon, or, nothing. everything or nothing yeah. I didn't know that until recently and um, when I heard that I was like oh okay interesting and they're right you it's everything on the, it's, there's no point making a movie or being in the film business if you're not going to fully commit and go for it every time. Mm. Or you, you can do it and then you end up being hated by the film public for having to waste two hours of your life watching a film that was just generic and boring, which mm. a lot of cinema is now because it's run by accountants. The uh, exploding head sequence, I adored it uh, because it, it was something I'd never seen before in the, on the big screen, certainly not to that scale. Uh you know, at, at what point did you come up with it? And did people, you know, did, did everyone just think you were in, insane with that that moment? Everyone is always thinks I'm insane. <laughs> so let's just make that clear. I just confirmed it once again, and I think once a month, everyone says, "Okay, he's off on one again," and you know, <laughs> wear the pills. When I was writing the script, I remember ringing up Jane. I just wrote the line, and now we have the. And I rang up Jane. Jane's like, "I've just had this idea." What's it? Blah 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 blah. And Jane, Jane's great because she takes all my craziness and lets it throws it lets the dust settle and then like for example I said oh, I've got this idea right we're, we're going to shoot the dogs and James was like it's not a good idea I said oh it's a great idea she goes no let me work on this and then she sends it back I go, they don't shoot the dogs anymore she goes they can't shoot the dogs I was like of course they can shoot the dogs and they goes, no they cannot shoot the dogs I went well why not and then she goes they won't like it if you shoot the dogs they're not going to like them anymore Yeah, yeah. and then so we came up. She came up with the compromise of blanks, and then the stuffed dog and stuff. So um, <laughs> you know, so which I was because I had the stuffed dog anyway, and then she, but she said, make the stuffed dog dying of pancreatitis. So she takes my nuttiness. So when I said, look, I've got the uh, heads exploding. Mark Miller went, you've gone too far. Yeah. Even, you know, and for Mark Miller saying that, <laughs> I was like, really? And then James was like, no, talk, talk to me more about it. And I said, no, I'm not going to do scanners. I'm going to do a Busby Barclay firework display using people's heads. Yeah. And she's like, only you would say that, and I will believe that it might work. Yeah. And um, it worked. I love it. I absolutely love it. I grin like a Cheshire cat that I got that through cinema making. <laughs> that, so, um, um, and Booth in Paris, they helped me do it. They're, they're the brilliant artists out there. So. For you, is that your favorite part of the movie to watch with an audience? My favorite part with an audience, it's that I do like watching the church. It's... it's um, the princess moment makes me laugh because I just see everyone not knowing what the hell to make of that. Uh, so, at the end. At the um, end, yeah. yeah. And I've always loved the pub scene because the first scene, yeah. first scene I wrote was the pub yeah. scene. 
So, and it's sort of, yeah. So, and seeing it all work and seeing Colin, I really enjoy watching Colin do this stuff as well because it was a risk. You know, you yeah. thought, could Colin pull it off? So, um, and he works so hard. So, it's very nice when you see everyone work their damnedest on something and everybody does well out of it. Yeah. There are other things in this movie I've never seen before in a, okay. in a film. I've never seen the chief villain <laughs> uh, projectile vomit at the moment of his own death. Ah. Can you, can you talk about that as well? Again, I, was, I just loved the idea of subver- uh, subverting things. So um, Colin pointed this out yesterday in an interview and I, you know, he said, look, he took Robert De Niro and put him in a dress. You know, <clears throat> yeah. and So uh, I was... Um, and I thought, if it's Sam Jackson, we've got to make this guy... Everyone knows that Sam's cool, that Sam can kill with a look, virtually, and that I just thought it would be fun to have a show, you know, Sam not liking violence. <laughs> you know, it goes against everything you could think of. And and Sam's he's such a great actor that I also feel a lot of people, you know, they get Sam and they just say, can you just do Sam? They want Sam. They don't want him to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, do me a favor... Be the brilliant actor you are, and let's just let's let's push the boundaries with this character. And mm. He was like, "I'm on for it, man," because most people just ask me to be cool, as he says. Uh, as uh, as people might know, you came very close to directing Casino Royale. Uh, yeah. This movie seems to me to be you doing all the things that you would never have been able to get away with in a million years with <laughs> with an actual Bond movie. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Matt, you have to ask the broccolis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I can't imagine they would. I don't know. The last scene, for instance. <laughs> Which yeah. is quite Roger Moore. It's kind of a Roger Moore well, ending a po- pushed to the... Well, it, what the whole movie is. This whole movie is a postmodern love letter to spy films. And a lot of people do... The, yeah. um, the whole point about the ending is, I'm a kid watching Moonraker and I hear you know, Bond's about to, uh, ex- about to attempt re-entry, sir. <laughs> so I remember that line, all right? So, I've rem- you know, so I'm just going, all right, I remember that as a kid. We've blown people's heads up we've done massacres and churches we've we've we pushed the boundaries we should at least take the those classic end spy movie end joke and do the r-rated version why not you know it's like and if people have got a problem with it well you somehow hung on to this movie for two hours so i'm amazed you got to that point to then be offended <laughs> and so that's how i feel about that and um and also the other point is i had the woman making the joke not the man yeah that's that's what people aren't getting like if it was taron going well hey if i save the world can i do it in your asshole then you go okay that's not working the woman saying it the people go oh, it's sexist okay no she's in control she's yeah. doing it i have a feeling roger moore would enjoy that moment it's got quite, yeah. quite a raunchy sense of humor have you got yeah. to meet him at all i'd love to meet roger moore i've never met roger moore met connery but i haven't how, met roger how did you moore. meet connery uh, we asked him to play Hatchet Harry, not Hatchet Harry, guys, take that back. We asked him to play Bricktop in Snatch. You asked him to play Bricktop? Bricktop. So my phone rings one day, and it's like, I'm not going to do my bad Sean Connery accent. Oh, sure, right. we'll go we can improve it. it in post. <laughs> okay, fine. you can do, yeah, you can go. Um, and it's literally like, is this Matthew Vaughan? And I was like, uh, yes, it's Sean here. And I was like, and I went, it sounds like Sean Connery, but you, I, I, but you, you can't go. And I went, Sean who? Connery. <laughs> Oh, hello, Mr. Connery. Um, interesting script. I want to watch this lock stock. Set up a screening. When do you want to do it? Uh, three hours' time. <laughs> Hell. Okay, fine. Boom. Here's my number. Imagine, I've got his home number. And I'm running around. And I, get this up there, and I find a shop on the King's Road. 
one of those those shops that um, build screening rooms. Yes. And I was like, I said, I've got a DVD here. Do we, you, you build screening rooms? And I went, yeah. And, they, and I said, have you got like a demo? And he went, yeah, we've got a demo version downstairs. I said, look, I've got Sean Connery wanting to watch Lockstock. Can he? Can I borrow your... And they, were like, they literally went, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and I went, look, I promise you, I produced this film. And Connery's going to... Can I get him? And they and they thought I was mad. So I went, rang him up. You know, hi, he's Mr. Connery. Uh, come down to King's Road. He lived in... I won't say he lived near there. And then he turned up. And this imagine this shop retailer guy was like... Because it's a movie thing, and he, he's like, "Oh my god, the guy's not bullshitting me." And I was like, "Hello," and he had the hands like that twice. That like, oh. then he watched the movie and uh, came up to me, and went, "That is a good film." Wow. And then you're not going to be able to afford me. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Oh, I can give you more. So I mean, like, I'll give you a great Michael Caine story in this film. You see, these are my glasses, which are now the Kingsman glasses, yeah. which is weird. But um, so I meet meet Kane for the first time, and I've got my glasses on, and he's looking at me really weirdly, and he goes, "Those are my bloody glasses from Harry Palmer." I'm like, "Really?" And, and he goes, "Give them to me." So it's weird. He takes my glasses off, and he puts them. I'm going, "Oh my god!" Yeah, Michael Kane's wearing my glasses now. And he's like, "You're fucking blind." <laughs> and I'm like, "All right, next." Um, he goes, I'll tell you a funny story. When I did um, did the Ipcris file. I couldn't get arrested afterwards in America. I said, why? He goes, well, because I wore glasses and I cooked, they said I was gay. <laughs> and I was like, shut up. He goes, back then, if you wore glasses and you cooked, they thought you were gay. And he goes, thank God for Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine saw the film, met me, and put me in Gambit. So I owe my career to that woman. Yeah. Well, yeah so your glasses nearly derailed Michael, Michael Caine's career. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Imagine. Imagine. Yeah. You, you produced him in Harry Brown. I did, yes. It's your first time directing him. First time directing. Yeah, how was how was the experience of directing Michael Caine? He must. Well, when he walked on set, there was a classic moment where I was I was going right because I thought Caine's coming. I've got to look like I know what I'm doing. So where's the camera? What we let's get it ready. Hit the get. You know, I was really getting nervous and actually concentrating. I hear all right. I like, you know, I hear sort of the Michael Caine accent, and I turned around thinking it was a grip doing a bad impression. I was like, for fuck's sake, don't. <laughs> He's going to be here. And he, and, oh, Michael, how are you? He's and. And his voice is so Michael Caine, it sounds like a bad impression. Like, literally, I, just, I thought it was an idiot grip doing a bad impression. Yeah. So, um, and he had the funniest stories between each. I wanted, I was looking forward to saying cut, because as soon as you go cut, it goes, now let me tell you what it was like working with Harold Lloyd, or what was it like working, and these names and the stories, and they are so funny. I can't yeah. repeat them, because I can't do them justice, but... He had us all in stitches. And then I go, like, can we do a take now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then bang, back into it, does the tape. He goes, now that reminds me of the time, blah, blah, blah. And, he, and, but they were, and the whole crew were just like, we're like kids sort of being told, you know, the secret of life. Amazing. I'm still yeah. reeling from the idea that, that, that Sean Connery could have been Bricktop. I, yeah. pres I presume you've seen the, uh, the mashup video, the Star Wars... I have, yeah. I have. Yes, yeah, very funny, very That's funny. absolutely amazing with uh, Brick, you know, Brick top, Darth Vader. Yeah, Brick Top doing Darth Vader. Yeah. Have you seen Adam and Joe's um, version Stuff. of Snatch with the stuffed toys? I have Probably. seen it. I think everyone laughed apart from Mr. Ritchie. <laughs> 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 yeah, but, uh, but nowadays... he's seen it. He didn't come out well, uh, <laughs> yeah. if I remember rightly. Yeah. You've forgotten that, haven't you? You're like, uh, you know, I haven't you... seen it for a while, actually. You haven't? There's no. a, it's a bit like the mockney little teddy bear that the guy wore. <laughs> And you watched and it with, with Guy? I didn't watch it with Guy. I thought Guy didn't deserve to see it because I think it would have upset him. So, um, and, uh, you know, Guy, actually, Guy's got a great sense of humour, so he would have, now he would find it funny, but back then the press were being dicks. And, um, <laughs> you know, so, um, but, you know, he's moved on. Joe Cornish is doing a spy movie next as well. 
He is. He just finished his lawsuit, so I suppose he might be able to make a film. I wanted to ask about Jason Fleming, actually. This is the first film of yours that he's not been in. Not true. That's not true? Not true. That, that you directed? Oh, that's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh-huh. true. I'm asking because there's like a grid on your Wikipedia page of people you've worked with. In this. Wow, no, there's, there's, no, there's no specific reason keep... apart from... Um, there's no reason, actually. Um, no. He's not like a lucky charm. Well, no, he is like I always felt. I, I, you know, it's a bit embarrassing saying like. I mean, he gave me. He's done me a lot too many favors. Like, yeah, can you do kick ass? Just be shot in the mouth by a little girl. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean. It, it, he's a very. He's a serious, proper actor that deserves respect. And there wasn't a role that's big big enough. I've worked with Jason, but I need. He, I need to give him. He needs a proper role. He's done me favors in mm. the past, and I think. You know, it's not right always just saying, hey, can you be the performing monkey in the background? It's like, no, he can't. He has to have a proper role. Okay. Could he have, uh, would you ever have thought of him as uh, the original Lancelot, as Jack Davenport's role? And Jason's a wide boy. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't have the lock wings. No, no, but that had to be such a cliche, hello, I'm sort of the ridiculously posh, moronic <clears throat> spy, yeah. how do you do? You know, yeah. it, it, you had to tell that story in... Two seconds, you know. I mean, if I, you know, in, and so I thought Jack Davenport. He's fantastic. You know, he's just so, he wasn't acting. He was just being. <laughs> he just turned up. And that's what uh, you needed. And we, we see the other uh, British kingsmen uh, briefly in that, you know, shot around the table. Was there a temptation to try and populate them with, with huge names or did you want to hold that back for a potential sequel? Yeah, no, it's funny you say that because I was thinking this is a real bugger, actually, because the sequel, they'll everyone go, well, if, if I'm saying some other big actors, the Kingsman, they're going, well, I didn't see them on that bloody, <laughs> bloody table. But uh, nice. out for a coffee. Yeah, actually, yeah. they're all my mates from school. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they're just friends. I went, you know what, turn up, is a pair of glasses, and uh, they're all being dick. It's actually quite funny. They're all, like, all thinking they could be funny at my expense, and then Kane walked in, and they're like, ooh. <laughs> didn't say a word for the rest of the day. All right, I think uh, I think we will let you go because I think we need to get out of this booth. But uh, Matthew, it's been a pleasure as always. Well, thank you. And uh, Empire's always been very good to me. And uh, here's here's twenty five more years. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Fantastic. Cool. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you.